Yo, what's up, everybody? It is today is November seventeenth, twenty twenty one, into November seventeenth, twenty twenty one, Wednesday. This is another episode of Real Sankara Hours, your favorite Black Pan African Marxist political podcast, where we talk about politics, current events from a Black left perspective. Um, we're gonna be talking about. We're, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, yeah, it's see- been a pretty shitty, shitty, I guess. Oh, we're trying to get into a schedule where um, we do a free episode uh, every three. We do two weeks on and one week off, so you'll get a free episode like every three weeks. And then, you know, if you subscribe to our Patreon, then you'll get an episode a week after that. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we try to get all the dumb shit that happens in the world for the past three weeks into one episode and. Yeah, I feel like it's been a pretty uh, cursed uh, couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're going to get into that. And yeah, speaking of bonus episodes, yeah, so to support you know, this podcast, patreon.com slash hours, $5 a month, gets you um, bonus episodes where you get additional content, um, theory readings, um, things of that nature. We, we do a lot of... Uh, reading of dense political theory to make it uh, easily accessible for people so for example we just um, finished reading Walter Rodney's How Europe Underdeveloped Africa um, if you want you know access to those episodes you you know gotta pay five dollars a month it keeps this podcast afloat and you get um, you know additional uh, episodes with that kind of stuff and also like sometimes we'll have like additional interviews with people um Activists, organizers, um, other other folks who are in, in, involved in in the struggle. Um, so yeah, so that's that's usually featured on our bonus episodes, and also um, um, we're both musicians, and I'm I'm still doing solo music. I'm I I plan on uploading uh, some some of my own music and maybe other kinds of music as bonus episodes. So that's that's something to look forward to. Um, if you're a patron so you know consider that and tell your friends um people you know um and yeah follow us at sankara hours on twitter um and yeah let's introduce ourselves and then we'll get right into the episode now that you know house the housekeeping is done so uh my name is adam hudson follow me at adam hudson five on twitter and also if if you want to uh I'll, I'll, I'll give a plug for my website adamhudson.org um for you know my writings and stuff like that so uh to keep up to date with uh you know the work i do outside of uh tweeting so yeah follow me at adam hudson five on twitter and adamhudson.org on for you know my website that, though tweeting is part of the work okay let's <laughs> yeah you do it tweeting is doing the work uh i'm peter m gunn Follow me at mgunpeter. I guess I might been tweeting a little bit more just because I've been bored and avoiding writing, uh, which Twitter is great for. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's been there's been a lot going on. Um, I first wanted to start off. Yeah, we're gonna start off with some international stuff uh, mm-hmm. because I think we 
a couple of months ago, I think we had brought up um, the situation in Ethiopia where the uh, the Ethiopian army and the Eritrean army were teaming up against the Tigrayan uh, People's Liberation Front, which uh, is a is so Tigray is a province like in the north of Ethiopia, and that that's an armed group that um, you know has caused I guess problems for you know previous Ethiopian regimes and though also was at one point you know in charge you know after the Derg got overthrown in the 90s um, so, but um, you know there's been, it's been it has sort of blown up from what they wanted to call I guess like an operation uh, into something that may look to become like an all out civil war because it seems as though like the Ethiopian army has kind of collapsed or and the Tigrayan I think it's the Tigrayan Defense Force now. Yeah, and just um yeah, for, for those who are unfamiliar, so the Tigray, the Tigrayan people are um they're an ethnic group native yeah. to um in the Tigray region in northern Nigeria uh, sorry, northern Ethiopia, not Nigeria. Um <clears throat> they're yeah, the Tigray region in northern Ethiopia. And um um, you know, like a lot of different countries in uh, in Africa and elsewhere, is different ethnic groups. So, um, but uh, yeah, and especially yeah. Ethiopia has sort of a history of being. Some people have called like you know Ethiopia like under Haile Selassie, like a colonial regime of sorts, in the sense that like certain ethnic like certain ethnic groups are privileged versus others being marginalized and you know that you know translates into actual sort of national struggles so yeah uh the tigrayan uh sort of teamed up with i think the oromo liberation front and that's required because tigrayans are only like five percent of the population yeah yeah so just to kind of like um give people uh so like there are five official languages in ethiopia so afar amharic oromo somali and um uh, Tigrinya, I, I'm probably butchering that, so apologies. Um, but yeah, so um, I believe the Amhara people are, in, t- in terms of the population in Ethiopia, uh, I, I believe are the most yeah, that... they're the largest ones in terms of like language, ethnicity, and then yeah, the Tigrayan are a minority. So this is important to keep in mind, especially like especially in. A, a heavily armed minority. Yeah, yeah. And so this, and this, and and this is also like, yeah. Um, I've been trying to, I haven't, unfortunately, haven't been able to uh, keep up with Ethiopia that much. But one thing that is important to keep in mind when it comes to African politics is how much um, inter-ethnic conflicts are often stoked by outside forces. So. So I wanted to kind of give a breakdown of like the different yeah. the groups and languages in Ethiopia. Yeah, I mean that's an in- well. I'll get to that in a second. I just wanted to finish mm-hmm. rounding out, um, basically, kind of as we're recording it, where the situation seems to be, which is that uh, the Tigrayans basically moved out of you know their province and like started marching on the capital um, or moving towards it, and that's you know pretty like it like this has got it has turned into a pretty 
uh, brutal conflicts where, you know, pretty bad stuff's been committed on all sides. And it's hard to say necessarily if there's like a specific angle, like in terms, you know, the U.S. or whatever, because they because uh, the, the president of Ethiopia, Abiy Ahmed, like he's not a lefty. He's not like a leftist. He's like a pure neoliberal and, you, you know, was able to force peace, make peace with Eritrea. And so he was, you know, pretty celebrated, won the Nobel Peace Prize and everything. So he's pretty popular guy in the West. But they but, ne- you know, now they seem to have turned on him or I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think that the Biden administration has like a coherent Africa policy. Um, and I think that the U.S. isn't necessarily very keen on taking a heavy hand in that stuff. You know, the way, the way they, you know, the typical imperial thing is to empower regional actors. So Egypt is playing like a heavier role. The Gulf states, um, I don't think necessarily in this conflict, like you can say that like one side is being propped up by outside forces because uh yeah there's just a lot of you know things pulling each other in different directions Mm -hmm. um in ethiopia uh in terms of sort of national questions and stuff like that and so you know that you know that can be smoothed over in peacetime but uh when conflict happens it can you know, uh, bubble up and get pretty gnarly. So, you know, everyone, I guess, is just hoping that it can be resolved without too much bloodshed or much more bloodshed. But it is, you know, this is, it is part and parcel of, uh, like, the neoliberal economic order. Like, uh, like it's, I don't, you don't want to just be like, oh, well, Africa's at war again. Like, Right. Like, I think part of reading Rodney, you know, really does underscore how just, you know, even though Ethiopia wasn't officially colonized, I mean, still having to fight Mussolini and everything, and just the layout of the continent in general, like, colonialism really, like, made it, like, not permanently fucked up, but very deeply fucked up in the sense that none of these structures or borders really are supposed to work. Um, And so you know, these kind of conflicts are, I mean, they are going to play themselves out. People, you know, I, you see, I mean, this was, this has been interesting because, you know, there's a large Ethiopian diaspora um, because of all the conflicts in the nineties and, you know, sort of seeing the way, you know, people are tweeting about it or posting about it. Um, Like certainly there's plenty of like native sentiment um that is you know supporting the effort the war effort um but it is also like yeah this is kind of how these contradictions play themselves out um and it's that is actually preferable like in the imperialist mindset to like you know unity and peace so that's just important to keep in mind as you know uh, i mean i'm sure we'll come back to it because i don't think it's going to be ending like pretty quickly it may i don't i don't know if uh president if abiy ahmed is toast or not but he seems to not be doing 
pretty well right now. Um, this whole effort seems to have been collapsed thing on itself. So, uh, but just wanted to, you know, just wanted to make sure that, you know, we spend some time on it as, as it's, as Ethiopia is a pretty important country. Yeah. And, and, uh, transitioning from Ethiopia to Syria, there's this, um, this New York Times article that came out recently, um, uh, was published on November 13th, so a couple days ago from this, a couple days prior to this, this recording. It talked about, so the headline is, how the U.S. hit an airstrike that killed dozens of civilians in Syria. So this is a, basically, um, a, 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 a bombing, a U.S. airstrike that killed 70 civilians on March 18th, 2019. So I'm going to read a couple passages from um, this uh, this article. I'm not gonna, obviously not going to read the whole thing because the whole thing is pretty long. But I'll put the whole I'll put the full article in the show notes. But um, so basically to kind of set up um, this was um, this is during the um, the Trump administration, and this is a, uh, apparently the last days of battle against the Islamic State in Syria. Um, so there, there was, yeah, this is a pretty kind of in, intense part of the, of, of the war in Syria. Um, and so, um, there is in this air, there's this town called, uh, Bagus. Um, and there is a U.S. drone circling overhead, like looking for military targets. But, um, what it revealed is that there is a crowd of women and children like huddled against a riverbank. And then it says, without warning, an American F-15E attack jet streaked across the drone's high-definition field of vision and dropped a 500-pound bomb on the crowd, swallowing it in a shuddering blast. As the smoke cleared, a few people stumbled away in search of cover. Then a jet, a jet tracking them dropped one 2,000-pound bomb, then another, killing both of its survivors. Um... And yeah, so the, this drone uh, was flying overhead, and the people who were watching the live footage, live drone footage, they were stationed in the U.S. military's um, combined air operations center in Al Ubaid Air Air Base in Qatar. And this is this is this is something to keep in mind, especially when it comes to the nature of the, the global U.S. war machine, especially when it comes to drone strikes. Man. The, pe- the people who are monitoring the drones and fly piloting them are stationed like you know in this case in qatar in the gulf and they're conducting um you know air and uh, like you know court help you know uh have flying drones overhead and sometimes launching strikes in in other countries so uh so the, these were u.s military personnel watching the drone footage and they were stunned and so uh, it says uh, who dropped that? A confused analyst typed on a secure chat system being used by those monitoring the drone. Two people who reviewed the chat log were called. Another responded, We just dropped on 50 women and children. An initial battle damage assessment quickly found that the number number of dead was actually 70. So 70 t- civilians, people, innocent people, including women and children, were killed in a uh, massive uh, airstrike. Um, so the New York Times explains this. So this, this is kind of like a sort of summary of the, of, of what they found in, in the investigation is, this is mostly like a New York Times investigation. Um, 
The details of the strikes were pieced together by the New York Times over months from confidential documents and descriptions of classified reports, as well as interviews with personnel directly involved and officials with top secret security clearances who discussed the incident on the condition that they not be named. The Times investigation found that the bombing had been called in by a classified American Special Operations Unit, Task Force 9, which was in charge of ground operations in Syria. The task force operated in such secrecy that at times it did not inform even its own military partners of its actions. In the case of, Boguz, of the Boguz bombing, the American Air Force Command in Qatar had no idea that the strike was coming, an officer who served at the command center said. So this is important. Like, so this is, there's an Air Force Command in Qatar who, who was monitoring it, and they had no idea what this special operations unit was doing. Like They, they weren't really informed of everything that they, this this unit was doing on the ground. So there's a special operations unit that called the airstrike. So it keeps going. Um, in the minute, in the minutes after the strike, an alarmed Air Force intelligence off officer in the operations center called over an Air Force lawyer in charge of determining the legality of strikes. The lawyer ordered the F-15E squadron and the drone crew to preserve all video and other evidence according to documents obtained by the Times. He went upstairs and reported the strike to his chain of command saying it was a possible violation of the law of armed conflict, a war crime, and regulations required a thorough in independent investigation. But a thorough independent investigation never happened. This week after the New York Times sent his findings to U.S. Central Command was oversaw the air war in Syria, the command acknowledged the strikes for the first time, saying 80 people were killed, but the airstrikes were justified. It said the bombs killed 16 fighters and four civilians. As for the other 60 people killed, the statement said it was not clear that they were civilians, in part because women and children in the Islamic State sometimes took up arms. This is, this is, oh, this man. Is, this is their justification. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so this man, is their... I yeah, and this is their um, yeah, this is their justif uh, that's their justification for it. Okay. I want to I want to bring up a little that, bit. Of that's details. pure American sniper shit. Yeah, and so this is some a little bit of details of of this particular task force, and then we can we can uh, discuss this even further. Um, uh, yeah, the battle in Burgos represented the end of a nearly five year United States led campaign to defeat the Islamic State in Syria and was a foreign policy triumph for President Donald J. Trump. At the height of his rule in 2014, the Islamic State controlled an area of Syria and Iraq about the size of Tennessee. A coalition of drones, jets, attack helicopters, and heavy bombers hit enemy positions. I mean, who, I mean, <laughs> enemy positions like yeah depending on what what that means in this in this context of uh with about thirty five thousand strikes over the next five years plowing a path for local kurdish and arab militias to reclaim ground at the end of the grinding fight airstrikes corralled the last islamic state fighters in a scrap of farmland against the euphrates river near bagrus coalition air power forced thousands to surrender sparing the lives of untold numbers of kurdish and arab allies on the ground Task Force 9, this is the Special Operations Unit, Task Force 9 coordinated off offensives and airstrikes. The unit included soldiers from the 5th Special Forces Group and the Army's elite commando team, Delta Force, several officials said. Over time, some officials overseeing the air campaign began to believe that the task force was systematically circumventing the safeguards created to limit civilian deaths. 
The process was supposed to run through several checks and balances. Drones with high-definition cameras studied potential targets, sometimes for days or weeks. Analysts poured over intelligence data to, to differentiate combatants from civilians. And military lawyers embedded with strike teams to ensure that targeting complied with the law of armed conflict. In combat situations, the, the process might take only minutes, but even then, the rules required teams to identify military targets and mi minimize civilian harm. At times when the task force failed to meet those requirements, commanders in Qatar and elsewhere de denied permission to strike. But there is a quick and easy way to skip much of that oversight, claiming imminent danger. The law of armed conflict allows troops in life-threatening situations to sidestep the strike team lawyers, analysts, and other bureaucracy to call in airstrikes directly from aircraft under what military regulations call inherent and inherent right of self-defense. Task Force 9 typically played only in an advisory role in Syria, and its soldiers were usually well be behind the front lines. Even so, by late 2018, about 80% of all airstrikes it was calling uh, in claimed self-defense, according to an Air Force officer who reviewed the strikes so this is a mouthful but basically you have this task force nine which is an american like a special operations unit with delta force and other other uh segments of uh fifth special forces group so basically these are these are all different units of uh like um, u.s commando teams like i don't want to go too into details but there's like a whole bureaucracy of like how american special operations forces are organized so basically in like there's tiers of how elite they are in terms of like the high risk missions and uh, layers of classification and secrecy behind their missions which definitely matters in this case um so yeah this special operations unit on the ground in syria ordering in airstrikes and you know they're they're able to even skirt oversight and coordination with other segments of the U.S. military. So they called in this airstrike, apparently in the name of self-defense, killed 80 civilians, and now the U.S. military is like, well, okay, maybe we're pretty sure most of them were, you know, part of like the Islamic State because you know X Y Z. Uh, they they recruited yeah. them. and so like um. The my the, the thing the, the thing the thing that um as somebody who's been writing about Guantanamo and U.S. war machine for a while like it's just something I've been noticing especially with the this current the U.S. war on terror and how it's uh uh how it's like kind of shifted the nature of the U.S. war machine like there is this emphasis particularly since the Obama years an emphasis on drone strikes special operations teams mercenaries and basically i think what this incident shows is that um by relying on like these different these types of 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 different ways of waging war the u.s it, it's um easier for the u.s war machine to kill with impunity around the globe with greater levels of secrecy and far less oversight and i think like the details i read in this like reveal that that you know like there's this uh yeah like this greater level of impunity when you have like these sorts of special operations units um and not just them but drone strikes um which the, you know the u.s president can can kind of order uh uh mercenaries and so like you know this is like basically the new normal in american war making and 
um yeah like 80 civilians were killed and um with impunity like just, there's no investigation but by the u.s military obviously i mean like you know they're like yeah we told them to do that um that's right. how i first first thing is there's a movie called rules of engagement uh starring samuel l jackson it is truly a heinous movie but it is you know i'll just spoil spoil alerts though i mean if you want to peer into the depths of the abyss uh yeah you can watch it but it is basically about samuel jackson getting court-martialed for like opening fire he's like oh yeah. i remember i remember this movie oh i i yeah i remember this yeah 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 Yeah, he opens fire into a crowd i believe it's in yemen yeah um, mm-hmm. he opens fire and kills a bunch of women and children and you know it's like how could you do this and then the twist the reveal is that actually it was the you know they're so savage that the women and children fight too they arm them and this is actually like a very long-standing colonial narrative Mm -hmm. about how like oh actually they're savages because they make the women fight and it's um yeah yeah the film yeah it's about uh yeah uh basically yeah jackson's character uh, kill civilians outside of a U.S. embassy in Yemen, and the film came out in two thousand. Two thousand, yes. This is pre Iraq War. Yeah, um, and so it just shows. It's nice to know that things haven't changed there. Uh, the second thing that jumped out to me is that, yeah, I, it's not just the militarization of the police. It seems like the copification of the military. It's like yes, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yes. We can, uh, you know. It's not like the old-fashioned war crimes, like, people are calling this the Mili of Syria or whatever. Um, but Mili, that was, like, a bunch of draftees who were just, like, told to burn down villages. Um, and this is, you know, the, the, the selling point on drones and special forces is that it's precision, surgical, right. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, surgically blowing up, you know, a bunch of women and children. For God knows what reason. Actually, now that you mention the reason, like this is also important to 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 consider. Like Syria never directly attacked the United States, right? So there's no like officially declared war between the U.S. and Syria. Um, and it wasn't like I mean the Iraq War was t- totally fucking illegal um, and founded on lies, but. You know, this is in the context of like this larger, the the 2001 um, authorization authorization for use of military force, which basically gave the president and the executive branch carte blanche to use different types of military and lethal force around the globe in the name of like, oh, we've you know we're doing this to fight global terrorism, and so that uh, and Al Qaeda Al Qaeda specifically, uh, and yeah, it was specifically Al Qaeda, but like they stretched it to include like. So Obama, Obama's basically like particularly lawyers in his administration, their clever way of expanding it was like, okay, Al Qaeda and associated forces, which could mean like buddies of Al Qaeda or buddy and buddies of buddies of Al Qaeda, like three degrees of like two, two degrees of se- separation from Al Qaeda, um, and with the Islamic State in Syria and Iraq, that organ they didn't exist before nine eleven. Let's let's keep this in mind. The Islamic State was basically a creation and a result of the Iraq War. 
So the Iraq war, which the Iraq, Iraq never attacked the U.S. It was not involved in 9-11. That was a lie sold, sold by the Bush administration. But the U.S. invaded and occupied the country for nearly a fucking decade. And as a result of that war, the Islamic State arose. Like, it, the Islamic State, the origin of the Islamic State arise in the Iraq war, which the war founded on a lie. And so now, like, in this context of this airstrike was, you know, to 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 beat back the Islamic State, which which was excel itself the Islamic State, a result of the U.S. war in, in Iraq, and and these are special special operations units who were involved on the ground, and their job technically was to be you know like not be engaged on the front lines, let the Kurdish and, and Arab allies uh, engage like on the front lines, but they're the ones like calling in these fucking airstrikes and killing civilians, and, you know, and and it's just like. Uh, yeah, a copification of, of U.S. wars, I think, is a great way to put it. Because, like, it's it's been stretched far beyond, like, Al-Qaeda and 9-11. It's just, like, the whole war on terror framework, the AUMF has been stressed to provide another way for the U.S. to wage war, basically permanent war, across the world. And I think, like, what this strike shows is that by you know with so-called precision drone strikes and precision special operations units is it's another way for the u.s war machine to kill with impunity and with even deeper layer uh levels of secrecy and far less you know accountability like yeah like like it's it's um you know like it's it's another chapter of american imperialism but uh yeah this this was a pretty fucking egregious um and <laughs> yeah i i mean I, I i mean that's what i have to say for now <laughs> but yeah but also the idea that uh work that there are you know very strict uh guidelines for regular for you know regular uh forces about you know the use of force or whatever and you know legality and all that stuff for like the grunts the regular people in the air force or in the army of course yeah a conventional military yeah right but the uh you know the the special forces are empowered to oh that guy looked at me funny through the camera uh i don't like the way that guy's looking so i'm gonna you know light light him up with a predator drone um that is that it that is like it does seem like the legal framework was, of that was taken from like you know the legal framework for cops right uh, yeah that's that that's what i'm saying is that like, yeah they just come out and say it like that it's it's really like oh yeah and i mean as aside from like uh securing i battling isis which you know uh, at the very least, you can say they get funding and support from, like, Gulf states that are our allies, theoretically, like, in terms of the agendas. And certainly the hilarious idea of going into uh, Syria to fight an al-Qaeda-related group when, like, al-Nusra were, like, people we were training um, is is rich in its own right. Like, we're literally there to fight ourselves, I guess um or something um but it's yeah the like i suppose the real point of what 
you know, the U.S. is doing in northern Syria is like securing the oil oil fields. Right. Yeah. That's um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's the main. And actually, like, um, th- uh, th- this 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 to help kind of clarify, because I, I think we we've mentioned special operations forces like a few times in this podcast, and I think actually, t- uh, I think it'd be useful, um, for for people to understand like what special operations forces are versus, um, conventional military. So basically within it most governments have like some form of special operations unit so in this case we're obviously talking about the united states but britain has one um uh britain's equivalent are are the sas so the british sas are like the u.s navy seals in fact a lot of u.s special operations forces uh are modeled off of the british sas so um Basically, special operations forces, what their functions are, their actual functions are for um, counterinsurgency, counterterrorism, a term called foreign internal defense. That's basically training and developing other states' military and security forces. Um, direct action. So that's like basically directly engaged. <laughs> uh, raids. Basically, raids, ambushes, sabotage. That's their term, direct action, but that's specifically <laughs> sabotage, small-scale raids, ambushes, um, hostage rescue, um, high, what's called high-value uh, high targets, i.e. manhunts slash assassinations. So basically, the the U.S. Navy SEALs killing Osama bin Laden, like that was a manhunt. Um, intelligence operations, um, uh, Un, um, unconventional warfare. So that's basically providing support to foreign insurgencies uh, against like uh, uh, governments. So in this case, like in the case of Syria, that would it would be considered like um, a form of like unconventional warfare. But again, like it's the U.S. being involved in a war that like where Syria never attacked us directly. I mean by us, I mean the people in the United States. So, but it's also part of this larger global counterterrorism framework so that's why special operations force have been in power because like they're they're the units to engage with directly with counterterrorism versus conventional military which you use for a nationally officially declared war basically so special operations forces because of like their specific um uh, uh you know skill set you know their very specific skill set um they're in, in with the you know the war on terror like they've uh they've kind of like been let loose to like do do what they want basically um since 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 9-11 yes u.s special operations force have been given a lot more power um than they normally would and have. and and they don't and i'm pretty sure like jsoc right they only report to the president Yes, so yeah, so JSOC, so that's Joint Special Operations Command. So, okay, so there's SOCOM, which is Special Operations Command, and that that's US SOCOM, they formed, I believe, after the um uh okay, they formed in nineteen eighty seven, but JSOC formed after um, if y'all remember, the hostage crisis in Iran. That's when JSOC really formed. So JSOC is Joint Special Operations Command, and they're basically they they control like basically um, Delta Force, Navy SEALs, um, and definitely like JSOC. Like they they have like uh, they've been very much at the tip of the spear when it comes to the war on terror, specifically with 
Operation Neptune Spirit, which was like the JSOC operation to kill Osama bin Laden. And also, JSOC has an operational relationship with the CIA's Special Activity Center. So that's basically the CIA's paramilitary unit. So basically, uh, all the like kind of coups and shit that happened in like Latin America by the CIA, it's usually for the from these guys. Like they're the ones responsible for covert operations and paramilitary operations. Covert operations are basically um, operations that allow for plausible deniability. Clandestine operations are basically where. It's just total secrecy. So this, these are layer, layers of secrecy. Like, so, you know, when we talk about like, uh, you know, the dirty work of U.S. Empire and like that kind of, it's a lot of it is done by CIA covert operations, paramilitary operations, and now with like JSOC, like it's been expanded much more since 9/11. So yeah, this this airstrike is, is in the context of like the growth of these specific aspects of the u.s war machine so these are the guys who like uh fucking jack ryan there you go jack ryan uh you know uh uh, uh who who's that guy from the fucking office krasinski john chris oh, yeah. yeah he's like become like mr buff sexman and shit uh you know like yeah i used to be just a pudge guy in the fucking office but now i get to fu- be a play and operator you grew a beard and shit and now he's like all fucking buffed out and sexed out and shit um this he is playing that type of like yeah i'm just a dude who like loves america and i can go into venezuela and fuck shit up um yeah yeah which it which most of what they do is just fuck shit up i don't know (laughs) pretty much that's what they do is is fuck shit up literally consequences be damned right they don't care about the consequences and like i mean i we can go on like with cia history because like a lot of stuff they do is like fucking shit up literally like uh this airstrike is just one of them but you know they they fuck things up they they do things that blow literally you know the consequences blow up in their face and make things worse but you know, it's all under the guise of uh, U.S. national security, so to speak. But anyway, um, not to get too bogged down in that, but that's just like you know, help y'all understand like the difference between like these kinds of units, like Task Force Nine, and wh- what the hell does that mean? Basically, these are aspects of the U.S. war machine that are cla- that are tasked with conducting some of the more dirty aspects of u.s empire around the world like and also like um special operations that includes uh spies so james bond you know mi6 that's you know the british equivalent of the cia um you know like some 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 of their work is like quasi james bond shit um but you know not as uh not as sexified as like an uh, you know a, a nice MGM Hollywood film starring Daniel Craig or Pierce Brosnan, but yeah, uh, yeah they should make a film about like you know James Bond ordering an airstrike that kills eighty civilians and see see how that plays in Hollywood because that would actually be that would actually probably be more in line with like what James Bond is actually doing around the world, um, but <laughs> yeah that's why I don't really get the need to like you know, have Idris Elba be James Bond or whatever. But, uh, 
yeah, I guess to get to the to return to the original point, and then we can segue into yeah. uh, domestically yeah. mm-hmm. uh, people killing innocent people because of they felt their lives were in danger. Um, this is the kind of thing where, like, yeah, uh, you know, good. I guess the New York Times, like, they're like, ah, we have to do one piece of actual journalism for the entire year, so they did that, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, it took him a while to be able to get the U.S. to admit something like this. I mean, for every one of these, like, how many are committed that, like, we'll never find out about? And yeah, yeah. What What is the actual function of this stuff? You know, we may never... The, the regular public may never actually know. Um, presumably, there is some sort of objective. You know, it'll get declassified 40 years later. But... Yeah, I mean, I guess the comparison to Vietnam is, uh, it may not necessarily be, uh, like, the Milai Massacre, uh, which was always terrible in its own right, but sort of the more, like, the Phoenix program, which was much more clandestine, like, yeah, assassinations, or, you know, just straight-up massacres, um, all sorts of weird stuff that's, yeah, off the books, because it can't really be admitted to, um, and... Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's part and parcel of the Empire's dirty work. Uh, but it still, I think, is important to be able, you know, when it's possible to, you know, be able to hold up specific events that, you know, detail just exactly what's going on with this stuff. And so that people are reminded when debating, oh, is it right for the U.S. to get involved in X country or whatever? Uh, like, what it is that we'll actually be doing in that country. Yeah, and and, and yeah, and, and to keep in mind, um, but you know, and this is I don't I don't want us to get paid as like you know Assad apologists. This is not what this, the, the, the Syria never directly attacked the United States. So why, the, you know, there's no business for like the U.S. government, the U.S. military to be directly involved in Syria, especially especially to the point of like having a special operations unit call in an airstrike that kills civilians. Um, and and the reason why, and this is crucial, because this this uh, this often gets this gets far too overlooked. Um, the Islamic State is what was created in the context of the Iraq War. Um, they it, the Islamic State would not exist without the Iraq War, and that that is gotten far too overlooked. So this is yeah, this is just the constant ripple effect of the fuckery of U.S. imperialism and the U.S. war machine, and this is this is a result: our civilians being killed um, for no fucking reason, but you know, under the guise of quote unquote national security interests. Um, but anyway, yeah, let's let's transition to domestic affairs. To, to lighter topics. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, another aspect of people being killed. Um, yeah, the trials. I mean, of, of of Kyle Rittenhouse and the men who killed Ahmad Arbery. Which one should should we start with, Rittenhouse or? Uh, I I'll probably be less upset. I don't. I've because because I have to see all the coverage of the Rittenhouse bullshit. So it's made me much more angry about it, even though they're both equally terrible. So let's do that one last. 
Wait, so you want to do uh, Rittenhouse uh, after Arbery? Yeah. Okay. All right. So all right. So um, yeah. So okay. So Ahmad Arbery for uh, hopefully people remember, but for you know to freshen people's memory. Yeah. So uh, before George Floyd was killed in 2020, in early 2020, Ahmad Arbery. Um, a black man in his in his mid twenties was killed in Georgia, not by police, but by some white vigilantes uh, in Georgia. Gregory, My- so one of the guys uh, was um, uh, Gregory Michael. So Gregory Michael and his son Travis Gregory McMichael and his son Travis McMichael just killed Ahmad Arbery in broad fucking daylight and. Uh, he he was shot with a shotgun, and um, and and these these fuckers are trying to argue self defense. So basically, where we're at with the trial as of um uh, November seventeenth slash eighteenth, um, the prosecutions rested their case, and uh, uh, so apparently, uh, Greg McMichael is arguing um that. He didn't know if Ahmad Arbery had a gun, but uh, quote quoting him, "I didn't. I don't take any chances." Um, that's literally not self defense if you don't know, right? Right. Um, and so this is according to a you know fucking transcript. Um, I don't know where this is what he said. I don't know where Ahmad Arbery is coming fr- coming from down there. Um. And when he was asked if Arbery had a gun, he said, no, I don't know. I mean, I couldn't tell if it's one on him or not. And yeah, uh, so, um, uh, and so, yeah, so basically, and just seeing pictures of these fucks, Mick Michael fucks. So, uh, yeah, so basically... Uh, I believe it was um, um, his son, both him and his son, like, uh, yeah, the, his, so Gregory McMichael brought a, a three fifty seven Magnum with him, and they had, so basically, like, these guys were in, his, in these, they were in, his, in this pickup truck, and they had a shotgun and a um, three fifty seven Magnum on him, and yeah, the, the killing... And there's an, uh, another guy, I believe, is uh, so three of them are charged. And this is this killing happened in February 2020, and Ahmad Arbery was 25 years old, and th- they just you know shot him directly. So he was Ahmad Arbery was shot in the chest with a shotgun, and this is some this is one detail that just really it it it, it just really got to me, like it, so. There was um, a police officer who arrived on the scene, and um, this is something he said. And this is again, this this really just got to me. Um, yeah, it's a Glen County. So this is in Glen County in Georgia. So Ricky Minshew, he was a police officer from Glen County who arrived at the scene, um, and apparently, okay, so Ahmad Arbery, he was jogging. And he was, I guess, jogging and checking um, out some houses. Uh, and there was, like, footage of Aubrey at a house. But it was under construction. So it's like, you know, some people are, like, you know, like, looking at houses. And, like, you know, sometimes there's houses and they're un- under construction. Like, oh, wow. Like, oh, what's this house? Like, it happens normally like a neighborhood. But apparently these guys, 
these McMichael assholes, you know, they suspected him of like nothing, like literally nothing. Like they thought, like they did. He, they he's saw casing a, he's casing the house that's not built yet. Right. Yeah. And so they saw a black man running, and they assumed danger. Um, okay. Yeah. This is February twenty third, twenty twenty. Just to get the date, and he was running in a neighborhood outside the port city of Brunswick in Glen County in Georgia. And so there's this police officer who arrived on the scene after, um, you know. This is apparently um, about a minute after the gunshots, and so Arbery was lying face down, like in a blood of pool, a pool of blood around him. And this is something that what what really got to me. So Minshew he testified in court. He said he heard Arbery making um, a noise, which he described as a death rattle. And so this is according to AP. The officer radioed for 911 operators to send emergency medical responders but said he did not have the training or equipment to treat such injuries. Uh, this is what he said, quote, Without having any other police units to have my back, there was no way I could switch to do anything medical and, and still watch after my own safety. Now, a death rattle. This is what a death rattle actually is. I'm going I'm to look up the definition because uh, I think this is something everybody should know what, what he's actually saying. So, a death rattle. Okay is a distinctive sound that a person may make as they are coming to the end of their life and may no longer be able to swallow swallow or cough effectively enough to clear their saliva. While a death rattle can be difficult to hear, it does not usually cause pain or discomfort to the individual. So basically, it's, it's, it's described as a gurgling sound that you may hear when people are dying. And there is a picture, there's some really graphic pictures they showed in court, and I, I think the, from what I recall, like, the jurors were pretty queasy. There is a picture of, like, I think Ahmad Arbery's shirt, and there was, like, a five-inch hole in it. And this is, like, from a shotgun directly to the chest. And basically, he a death rattle was a gurgling sound. So basically, he got one shot of a shotgun t- directly to his chest. This, that was just enough to kill him right there. So basically, like, as he was shot, he was laying on the uh, on the ground, and he was just basically like lying in a pool of his own blood, gurgling, and like at the end of his life. And when I, because that that term, I was like, "Death row, What the hell is that?" When I looked it up, and that's when I got that image. Like this guy, literally, like he was just dead right there. Like, and in in some ways, like this cop saw. I'm pretty sure this cop saw him. It was like there's nothing he could do to save his life. You know, and apparently there were two shots that were fired, and I think the medical examiner said that either one of those shots was enough to just kill him. And um, uh, I don't know if you guys look up. Sometimes I look up like videos of, uh, you know, um, gun enthusiast videos, and these are usually people with like probably law enforcement or military training, like kind of showing off weapons. So there's this guy, M1 Garand, on his YouTube channel. He um, had a ballistics dummy. So there's, like, ballistics dummies, and people use it to show, like, you know, damages of certain bullets and rounds that it does to the human body. And he did an example of a shotgun to a uh, a ballistics dummy, and the damage to the ballistics dummy was, like, just fucked. It was pretty um, egregious. And so I, I wanted to share that just because of how fucking raging, like, just this... Uh, these assholes 
hunting down an innocent black man like an animal um and so yeah the prosecution rested their defenses so we'll, we'll see but um apparently yeah one of the men this is from a huffington post article one of the men on trial headline says one of the men on trial for killing ahmad arbery changed the story within hours so they're claiming self-defense but they they have these shifting stories so uh, um we'll we'll see i i'm pretty cynical about this i don't want to make too strong a prediction but i'm pretty cynical i have a feeling that um these guys are probably going to get a light sentence because you know they don't the glenn county from what i understand when i was reading is uh over half of the county is black yeah well half of the, sorry 26 percent of residents in glenn county are black 55 percent of residents in brunswick are black but one juror is black so um i mean we'll see i'm pretty cynical but t- to me it just shows like uh i mean this is this is this is america itself like you know white supremacy having you know the collective feeling to devalue black life that in this these 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 guys were not even police officers either i think one of the guys was a former cop or was buddy with the police but you know this 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 just shows like how much the humanity of black people of people of african descent regardless if you're african-american like it doesn't matter like sometimes you know people get in diaspora wars uh, shit it doesn't matter if you're nigerian or you're jamaican or you're haitian or you're Ghanaian or from whatever part of africa or whatever like as long as you're a person of african descent and you're melanin and you're phenotype and your hair texture matches what's considered black in this country you're black and you're facing the same fucking danger as almond arbery so that's something clear to keep in mind like it doesn't matter what fucking part of the african diaspora or the african continent you're fucking from this is what white supremacy does to black people both in this country and fucking globally and yeah the sooner people can you know realize that fucking reality um maybe we can get closer to something we can call pan-africanism or in black power um because yeah like that th- that when i read that i w- i was just like it it really it really got to me emotionally when i read that about how that cop like just couldn't even do anything like he was just dead that the guy was just dead right there and that cop arrived like minutes after the shots were fired so and oh by the way here's another detail uh those guys who shot arbery called him in the n-word by the way right after they killed him um so and this is in fucking you know georgia the good old south you know uh you know fucking georgia you know deep south former slave state i mean yeah this is I'm, but stacy uh, abrams turned it blue so it's great now yeah it's great now yeah stacy abrams turned it blue um is i i find it weird that like this case is not being talked about enough yeah well it's it's not it doesn't it, yeah, I mean, I look. Don't ever put anything past the American legal system, but right. it seems it's pretty hard to argue. I feel like that it was anything other than murder in cold blood. But of course, we can. You know, America is built on the ability to argue that that's not what that is. Um, but I, yeah, it has not gotten the kind of wall-to-wall coverage that the Rittenhouse trial is. I think for a variety of reasons. One, because of, I guess, 
the circumstances in, you know, people like playing out whatever it is they have um, about their feelings about riots and, you know, burning down businesses. And also there's a weird section of even people on the left who are like horny for Kyle Rittenhouse or something. Um, Actually, yeah, let's wait. Yeah. Why why don't you talk about like what what you're because you you, you've been I think you've been probably paying attention to the Rittenhouse. I've been trying not to, but it keeps (laughs) coming up. Like, I literally, uh, because the gym I sometimes go to, um, and when they do stuff like this, makes me not want to go to it more. Um, Like, they weren't playing Fox News. They sometimes play Fox News, but they had not been playing Fox News, which I don't mind because it gives me, you know, motivation. I get all mad. But they had, they had, I've been there like the past three days and they hadn't had Fox News on. Then I walk in and they have it on for the Rittenhouse trial and I like visibly and audibly shook. I was Mm. like, you know, and it's I don't, for me for me, like the thing that gets me is just I've never in my life seen a trial that was so obviously rigged. Like Mm. the fix was so obviously in like that fucking judge is just insane it's insane the shit that they were like getting away with and that's you know it's some and it's just like yeah you know you're trained to just always expect the worst and then like the chauvin verdict it was like well okay this is still not enough i think or whatever but at least this is like a rational response to this event and it seems like with this shit like whoever it was you know, the Wisconsin Republican Party or whatever, though, I, I guess Scott Walker's not the governor anymore. They have a Democratic governor. But, you know, I'm sure like all ju- I mean, first of all, like, fuck all judges. I'll hmm. just say that um, I don't trust any of them, like anyone who decided they want to judge people for a living. But second of all, like they are all like they get put in these positions for situations like this so that they can try and deliver you know a uh controllable outcome let's say and just yeah just it being just an absolute farce of a trial where like and i'm not even gonna get into the specifics precisely because republican state legislature is basically the only thing they do when they're not just uh you know lying over for like development corporations and fracking companies uh fracking and real estate um is come up with you know very intricate laws to justify dipshits who uh watch too many gun videos being able to kill someone and so i don't know and i don't necessarily care um in the broader legal sense of you know whether what he was doing when he put himself in that situation like can be constituted as self-defense i feel like if you're going into a situation like that that you know is dangerous like you're not defending it and it's not even your fucking property like that's just like fuck you obviously but the thing that scares me about it is basically that <laughs> If he walks, which he may or may not, I feel like, you know, the smart thing to do would be to get him on a lesser charge, but then he probably won't actually do any time. But so you don't have to deal with like, yeah, he was because they threw like 10 charges at him or something. Um, 
But the thing that disturbs me about it is that, like, then he's going to be, if he walks, he's going to become a celebrity. He's going to be, like, a media person. And we're going to literally create a uh, pogrom clout economy. Like, it's going to, then there's going to be another, because the, yeah, another thing that gets me is like, oh, he was a model citizen. No, like, there's a literally, like, 10 million of these, of just worthless white boys who just want clout and want to be famous for doing nothing. And they're just waste of space on this earth. Uh, I mean, you know, it's not specific to white men or dudes, you know, but <laughs> there seem, you know, they in like shitty suburban areas there seems to be you know a preponderance of them and yeah certainly the next time you know because it's not like the cops are going to stop killing people so and it's not not like anything's going to get any better in this country so the next time things boil over like then there will be more incentive for people to go out and into those situations looking to kill people so they can get clout they can become an influencer and that's like yeah that that was i guess the thing that was like taking me into dark places because none of it would be surprising i mean none of it's new like that's who you know all those wild west celebrities or whatever like back in the day like that's what they were doing uh you got famous for you know like all the way back to Andrew fucking Jackson, like, <laughs> you get famous for killing the right people. But seeing it, like, in, you know, the 21st century social media economy, and thinking about the fucking rap album he's gonna end up releasing, uh, makes me, yeah, that, that's, 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 that's why that I was, that shit was taking up too much of my brain space. And, uh, yeah, well, a, a few things I've been hearing, like, some really weird <laughs> takes on social media regarding the Kyle Rittenhouse case, which I, I feel like from the left is just like, you know, there's nothing worth defending. But um, one thing, well, one thing, well, that the far right is trying to pull out is that like well the guys that killed that Kyle Rittenhouse killed like were not like these good guys because apparently I guess one of them well they had the guys uh um that he shot like had uh, uh criminal records I believe one of them was like a convicted uh a sex offender if I if I recall correctly I mean but the thing is like Kyle Rittenhouse didn't know that when he went in there you know so it's 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 like <laughs> that's not to say like uh you know that you know these these people were were saints but um yeah that has nothing it, to do with the facts of the case right it's irrelevant to the situation it's irrelevant to the case right because so, kyle rittenhouse didn't know that like he didn't uh because he went there apparently to protect well first of all he crossed fucking state lines with his mother his mother drove him across oh across state lines drove him i believe it was like 30 minutes something like that um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's from suburban Chicago, I believe. Which... Yes. So he crossed state lines into Kenosha, Wisconsin, because Kenosha, Wisconsin's on the Illinois-Wisconsin state border. So they crossed state lines, and I think, I believe to yeah, from where Rittenhouse lived, I guess in like a suburb of Chicago, 
I think it, I believe it was like 30 minutes or something like that, like approximately 30 minute drive across state lines to protect businesses that are not in his fucking like home turf. So he went there because I'm pretty I'm pretty sure he and his mom knew that like you know there is because this is in the context of um, the police shooting of Jacob Blake, and then there were you know protests and so basically protests that you know, turned into, like, some rioting and looting, but there was a protest in response to Jacob Blake being killed by... But no, he wasn't killed, sorry. He was wounded. He was shot by police, but he was... Yeah. He was, he was paral- I believe he was paralyzed, but wounded by the police. So... Um, so he goes... So this, this kid goes there, armed with an AR-15, to these protests to protect businesses from potential... Quote-unquote. Yeah, and so he shot... Uh, some people who were protesting um i i guess one one of whom had like yeah had a criminal record but like you know that again that this is irrelevant to, to me like the the worry is that if kyle rittenhouse is let off it gives a further license for more elements of the far right to go to other black lives matter protests armed with weapons and then, you know, giving them like further permission to kill people and um, find some de- find some de- de- defense to uh, for for what they're doing. So this is like this is something I think that uh, that aspect uh, I find worrisome because I think we're at this stage right now in the United States where um, the far right, particularly post Trump, is even more emboldened than they were before um and they're not going anywhere and that you know trump and and also like with biden being a really shitty president we can do we're, we're gonna do like another episode on that but like um the, the the state of affairs in the u.s especially when it comes to race i think are a lot more tumultuous um which i think it's fair to say uh, and and there's an interest in all sides in making it it so in the yes. sense of like t- turning actual movements into violent spectacles that then the police and you know whoever extra extra uh legal forces let's say uh mm-hmm. can come in and quote unquote restore order and then nothing ever actually has to be done mm-hmm. and you know i'm i'm sure that like you know white dudes in a rust belt city that are taking like you know a police shooting of a black man as an excuse to burn shit down are not people are not the greatest people in the world i'm sorry but like at the same time i don't i'm sorry if you consider yourself on the left and uh you're defending that piece of shit in any way like you're not on the left get the fuck out i'm sorry yeah thank you yeah you are (laughs) you're wholly useless for in any capacity Glenn Greenwald. Sorry, just yeah. I mean, like, yes, it's people like on the fucking who claim to be on the left, like now who are doing <laughs> cracker barrel politics shit. Like, which the term I, I you know, <laughs> say you know to refer to you know people who claim to be on the left who want to have like some dumb like uh have an alliance with the far right cracker barrel. Yeah, these are these are like that's the shit that was. I was a little surprised by it. I didn't expect to find people who claim to be on the left uh, 
trying to support Kyle Rittenhouse. Like this is this is another reason why like black leftists and other black radicals make fun of the left is because of shit like this. And I know like even among black people like there's there's different feelings like cuz I know some black people are like hey look we don't, they don't want to get involved with the Rittenhouse case. Like that's another argument. I'm not I'm not I'm not talking about that. But like <laughs> yeah, the fact that there are um leftists who are defending Kyle Ritten- for, for from some bumblefuck reason yeah, like yeah, you, you, I, you guys are not on the left, but e- even if they're on the, they're they're definitely not on the left. But I will say, like, I want nothing to do with those fucking people. Like, we're not on the, we're clearly not. I want to make it clear, I'm not on the same side as as those people, as like people who claim to be on the quote unquote left, who are trying to support Rittenhouse for some bubblefuck reason. Like, no, I'm not on the same side as you motherfuckers. Like, so we're not, because I don't, I don't see. <laughs> like, what the fuck? What what the fuck are we? What yeah, are I mean, fighting for what the fuck. At the end of the day, like, which side do you imagine yourself to be on? And I think just a lot of people ended up telling on themselves Mm -hmm. uh, which side they imagine themselves on if the shit hits the fan. Because I spent my whole fucking 20s, uh, you know, dealing with the idea of, like, am I willing to die for this shit? What does that even mean? Is that just my depression manifesting itself in politics? Uh, Or is this an actual conviction? In what context? You know, in what situations would I, would this even be necessary, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, no, you, you fucking worthless people who just want to have takes, uh, just say the dumbest shit that cop pops into your head because, well, that's Twitter and that's what it's there for to, you know, empower people to say the dumbest thing, things they can possibly come up with. Uh, and, you know, that's the idea of Twitter just being a massive psyop. I mean, the argument only grows closer um, because, I mean, it, there's definitely some things where it is like, yeah, they're trying to push us into into reacting with a trial this obviously bullshit. Like, I think the Chicago 7 trial is the last time, like... There was just such an obviously farcical trial, like, in recent American history, in the sense of, like, in the sense of just, like, them, they're doing everything they can to make it obviously farcical. Um, you know, it's not just, like, the general, you know, uh, evil machinery of, like, the American legal system, but, you know, something that is, like, a public, you know, news item that is just obviously being manipulated um but you know speaking of uh evil machineries i didn't want to round out with uh Mm -hmm. you know i guess a hot topic that people have been that you know is also a buzz on twitter uh ritual human sacrifice in the music industry Uh uh-huh and of course by that we mean uh the travis scott concert yeah, the astral world. Yeah, the um, basically a massive stampede that. Uh, trying, let me let me get the exact, because the, the death toll. Um, I think. Uh yeah, so it was a Travis. Um. Okay, yeah, so it was on November fifth, twenty twenty one. It was a crowd crush that occurred at the Astral World Festival. Um, it's a music event founded by Travis Scott. 
is held in um, Houston, Texas, and ten people died so far, eight on the night of the concert, um, and I think believe dozens of people were injured. Um, I saw like the footage of it, and it was, yeah, it was uh, kind of panda. Um, it, it it was uh intense because i've been to you know because people were trying to compare it to like you know punk rock shows they get rowdy like um oh my god i'm sorry i'm, I'm kind of scrolling through like some of the recent kind of uh uh covers of it so yeah there's a nine-year-old ezra blount uh who's who was injured at the concert and he um you know recently died of his injuries uh a 21 year old so these are like really young people who yeah i mean he's got a very young fan base i mean the you had a fucking mcdonald's happy meal for fuck's sake and uh pandemonium sorry pandemonium that was the word i was trying to describe like this yeah yeah i mean it is not like i you know seeing the way people reacted to it um well first of all let's just say I really was speechless uh, to hear uh, Travis Scott say, oh, you know, in recompense, we're going to give, you know, everyone at the, who was at the concert a free month of better help, the <laughs> online therapy uh, thing that you probably are seeing see a million YouTube ads for that costs like 300 bucks a month for four Zoom sessions, uh, you know. For all the just go get therapy people, I guess this is what they're what this place is for, and uh, yeah, that's just like in what universe? I mean, you know, Travis Scott's definitely in the sunken place if he is feels that uh, that is a that is why would you even say that? Why would you even do that? Like, how far divorced from reality would you have to be to? Uh, to 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 think to to offer that to just to put that out there uh but i suppose like you know divorced enough that you would allow a concert like that to go off um you know especially coming out of the pandemic where it's like everyone's you know ever like people are weird about concerts anyway uh to not take like the absolute most uh, safety precautions like that is kind of, I mean I suppose I don't know like the questions of legal liability I don't think like a performer is necessarily legally liable unless they're specifically inciting the crowd um, and that's you know that isn't just like you know go cra- telling them to go crazy or whatever um, like you have to specifically incite them but at the same time I've definitely been to concerts where like they you know they stopped the show because a fight broke out. Um, and I feel like, I, you know, I think seeing some of the layouts of where it was, I, it's probably, I don't, you know, it's probably safe to say that, like, he could have seen something from the stage. And, you know, it isn't necessarily his, respons- his like, legal responsibility to stop the show. But I feel like it is an ethical responsibility of performers if they see anything potentially dangerous happening in the crowd to call it out. And especially something on that scale, mm-hmm. it seems like it would have been hard to ignore. And I feel like when people, you know, certainly some of the imagery is like, yeah, a little spooky, but you know, people are calling it like 
for the part of uh you know people who are not necessarily q-pilled but you know on that continuum i guess you know now they're like calling it like a ritual human sacrifices a little over the top i guess but it's hard to argue that on some level like safety was not prioritized because you know this is supposed to be a rock concert man it's supposed to be dangerous or something i can imagine i don't know somehow it feels like that somebody said something like that in the planning of this event because they like you know at an operation at that level people know um they should know how to do this stuff it's not that hard it gets done pretty regularly um but i certainly can imagine like you know imagery aside of of that concert uh like being in that crowd it will you know being in a crowd where like death is happening you know where violence is happening and it doesn't seem like there's anything to stop it it feels like you're part of something evil mm-hmm. like yeah i can so and especially <laughs> if you know you're on whatever you took at to go to a travis scott concert like it seemed, you know, it is a bit like Altamont, and, uh, you know, Altamont also was something where it was like, yeah, they played pretty fast and loose with the security, uh, hiring the Hells Angels, notoriously. Um, and, you know, someone, and it's hard, you know, I guess somebody died when the Rolling Stones played Sympathy for the Devil, um, a little on the nose on that one. And so, like, yeah, I'm not a big fan of, like, I guess the use of satanic imagery. I don't, I guess I've come around on that. I'm not, like, now people are, like, overcorrecting and it's, like, turning into focus on the family stuff, I guess. But I get, <laughs> I get why, like, like, if everything that's going on, and this is something that I feel like the believe science people, liberals, just don't refuse to understand for some reason because they're they so are focused on their own like anxieties about you know being rational and reasonable about stuff and they just refuse to acknowledge that there's many things especially for people who are not like didn't get the uh you know minting into being one of the smart people that comes through like going to liberal arts college or whatever there's many stuff where it's like they don't have like an explanation as to why that's happened a big part because the government lies about a lot of fucking shit like people like and not just the government you know corporations everyone's lying about everything constantly in this fucking country and so people like that when you're in a world where this is why like alex jones this kind of stuff is so popular because it's something that feels right because you know in a world where uh like you're being lied to all the time you know people are selling you bullshit like you're going to it it makes sense that the brain looks for supernatural explanations for things and while you know it doesn't mean not in the not in the sort of uh narrow sense of the way these people are describing like this was a ritual human sacrifice or whatever but like I suppose you could, it's almost, the reverse is almost true in the sense that it's, like, magical rituals and art, like, and music, like, go hand in hand, like, that's kind of, 
you know, it's the same, like, processes operating on the brain, I guess. And that is, like, part and parcel of why of the music industry. There's all sorts of, you know, weird shit that goes on in there. But it's not, like, it's just so frustrating because, you know, as someone who, like, for me, it's like, this does just kind of reinforce the necessity of historical and dialectical materialism. Not to, like, put too fine a point on it, but it's, like, be having that grounding and being able to, like, look for the material explanations for things allows me to, like, be able to delve into the kooky shit. And, you know, you know, well, at least I hope that, like, you know, my brain gets a little bit melted, but it can go back to normal, you know, relatively speaking, what that means in America. Like, you're not permanently ruined by this stuff, but I think that anyone you know most people in this country don't have that kind of a grounding and that sense of like oh this is the actual history of you know the modern world and so this is how this stuff would fit into this and so yeah they are going to go insane and they are going to just go to like the most uh fantastic explanations for things because like it makes as much sense as whatever anyone else is telling them like mm-hmm. that's what's that's what annoys me about because you know i think it's you can talk to people and they you know talk to people in meat space about this stuff and it's like yeah that's kind of crazy but like you can have an actual conversation with them but you know i mean the internet itself like uh is uh is you know something that like is kind of designed to ruin everyone's brains i mean in terms of like the actual history of it and uh, you know also like the degree to which like satanism has a creed it is worship of the self um it is empowering yourself to become god like that's what lucifer wants and uh you know so how but how is that that much different than like neoliberalism you know and it's like yeah people people do pick up on this stuff like on an intuitive level and it's just like it's like if you if liberals are serious about deprogramming people they have you have to get to them at that level and that's what's just but they don't want to do that because they just want to laugh at you know some stupid shit somebody believes um with and it's just like yeah and then write them off and then you know let and then dance on their grave when that translates to them not getting vaccinated or whatever and it's just like you know it's it's i mean white liberals will have the excuse of like uh, oh well that's just white people but then you're doing <laughs> weird like uh intersectional conspiracy theory shaming or whatever <laughs> where it's like okay well black people have a right to be paranoid about x y and z this conspiracy about black people is fine but this conspiracy about white people is totally made up and you're an idiot for thinking it but okay what if a black person believes the wrong conspiracy theory what if a white person like ends up finding out about the tuskegee experiment etc cetera, etc cetera. like it's it just ends in a lot of idiocy and like you know it's like this is why like a rigorous examination of history uh and you know i find that some of that stuff is historical materialism like in the sense of oh this is how this how these things actually happen these were the class forces at play in this event 
and like approaching it from there and maybe we can start to get somewhere where everyone isn't completely fucking insane all the time because you know or maybe not because america thrives and kind of requires a level of insanity and self-delusion to repel this idiot project forward and uh you know ending ending the insanity is ending uh you know america as we understand it so and and like i mean relating to that sort of insanity you're talking to about um because i don't i don't listen to a lot of travis scott's music but i was listening to this um uh, this New York Times podcast, uh, podcast, and they're they're talking about the astral world, uh, you know the 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 horror, the death that happened, and uh, I think one of the guys is mentioning that um, the style of music that Travis Scott plays, and I think it's becoming more popular. It's like um, rappers are the new rock stars now, um, and so there's been um, an encouraging of. Um, uh moshing at rap concerts which is kind of that is that's pretty different that's like very post i think the the guy was saying that um tyler the creator uh kind of helped like make that more in vogue like in the in the last decade like since the 2010s like odd future um and so it's and like the energy of it's like yeah like let's you know fuck shit up or like there's a and I think um, it, I, I'm, to, to connect it to your point I think like part of the reason that kind of um, why people would go, want to go to a concert like that and how it could create such pandemonium is uh, um, you know like the kind of um, things that people are feeling in, in this society like it's a good um, release and escape from the drudgery of conventional american society and also the typical stressors and you know fuckery and insanity of this of this society so i can see like why people particularly young people especially like zoomers who you know when they see the state of this world like it everything looks bleak and i think like going to like a travis scott concert where people are moshing like it's there is a there's definitely like a release and i could definitely say to somebody like who <clears throat> was in a black slash poc rock band for almost a decade and i've, I've been to been to and played at you know plenty of um you know sort of uh small like hard rock punk metal shows and i've, I've been in you know mosh pits and uh you know, like, there is an energy, like, in terms of, you know, particularly people who just need to let off some steam um, for various reasons. Some reasons are reactionary. Others are, like, people just need a, a place to escape. And I'm, I'm not saying, like, in a diminutive way, but, like, a place to escape from the, you know, fuckery of this society and, like, how it impacts somebody's, how it impacts everyday life. And, um, uh, yeah, like, and and that's what's so you know tragic about this that people who went there to have a good time and you know release that energy like you know lo so many people lost their lives and were injured. I actually want to make a connection to because you're talking about the uh, importance of remembering history. I want to bring up the 2016 ghost ship uh, fire. 
um, this is a warehouse fire in Oakland, California, and I, I know somebody who was impacted by it. Well, he he didn't he didn't lose his life, but he knew people who um, who who died. So, and maybe this is for some of you who probably uh, don't remember. So, in Oakland, California, this is December second, twenty sixteen. There was this um, underground uh, electronic music event at a a warehouse in Oakland, California. So it was like a warehouse turned arts collective. And the place was like a fire hazard waiting to happen. Like if you see the pictures of look up Ghost Ship Warehouse Fire and you can see if you if you just simply Google it and you look at the Google images, you can see the images of it burned down and the images of it like when it was still around. Um, it was uh, there was an Ill- illegally constructed second floor. Um, there were no smoke detectors or sprinklers. And there was a lot of um, loose uh, like extension cords flammable materials and wires that like were just you know a fire hazard waiting to happen and uh you know the so the guy who um, i want to mention this because this is pretty reasonable this came out this was announced in march 9th 2021 um the guy who was the primary leaseholder for the warehouse derek almina who uh, from what i understand like he's a pretty trashy individual um uh anyway yeah so 30 so yeah so the basically uh, a fire happened 36 people died um in the ghost ship fire it was uh so this wasn't exactly like a you know stampede but this is like a, a, a fire that killed like you know three dozen people 36 people um and so the guy who was a primary leaseholder derek almina like he again this place was a fire hazard waiting to happen for a long time but he didn't you know he didn't put the you know yeah he was too strung out on meth i think yeah he was is is why is why i I do remember seeing that he did he had some pretty crazy interviews yeah the immediate aftermath of it yeah he's a piece of shit i've uh like among the people who know of him like i haven't heard good things about him but anyway recently uh according to npr um he has been sentenced to 12 years in prison but with time serving good behavior, Derek Almina is expected to serve just 18 months at home wearing an ankle monitor. Um, this is what the article says. Almina was a primary leaseholder for the Bay Area space known as the Ghost Ship, which officials had found no smoke detectors or sprinklers and contained numerous extension cords and large quantities of flammable materials. Um, and yeah, so uh, the building caught the building caught fire, and so basically, yeah, there are people trapped on an illegally constructed second floor um and so yeah he's he's been sentenced to 12 years in prison but he he'll probably serve uh some of it in prison and then the rest of it with an ankle monitor for uh some some period of time um and yeah so i i bring this up because in the context of responsibility for um, Astro World, like there have been videos of of Travis Scott trying to warn people to be safe when he saw like what was going on, and there were other instances of people like telling like some of the managers and the organizers to like, hey, you know, people are being like crowded and 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 squished and stampeded, and you know, um, I think the responsibility like to 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 use the example of uh, Ghost Ship or. The real responsibility should be on the people who organized the event and were responsible for, you know, organizing and logistics and 
ensuring that you know safe safety like proper safety protocols and it seemed like uh someone or some people dropped the ball on that and i think if there's going to be like any kind of liability it should be on like the people who are responsible for organizing like this the event even though it was it was like you know travis scott's concert is, is his concert um he's likely not the one like organizing the specific details of like that specific event because you know he's a he's still a musician he's you know i'm sure i believe he's touring around out at this point he probably put his tour on hold but you know if he's a musician touring like um there's a lot more people involved like especially you know comes to the selling tickets and organizing the events and logistics like that that often is taken care of by other people so um yeah it's 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 um you know this is not to you know excuse Travis scott but i i think oftentimes it's it's easy to kind of point the finger at him and not look at like um you know other people who are equally responsible if not more in terms of you know organizing logistics of the events because the the way like when i saw the videos i was like it it seemed like there was (laughs) hardly any you know order or 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 or, like it wasn't like it it it, it just seemed like it seemed like somebody or some people dropped the ball and it, it seemed like there that didn't need to happen but i mean who knows um but i wanted to mention the ghost ship fire because i think that 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 event um astro world reminded me of ghost ship and i think uh there are some lessons to learn from the ghost ship fire that are applicable to the travis scott concert and um yeah it's it's not just travis scott who's responsible like there's response no i and i wasn't trying to say that he was oh uh, yeah yeah i'm not yeah i'm not saying you're you're saying it's just i know a lot of other people like have been well they kind of yeah pointing to blame at him when it's like there's other people involved yeah yeah i mean it's definitely like on live nation and uh you know yeah whoever uh (laughs) like they like you have to know like this is it's pretty basic stuff um yeah and yeah it's but it's yeah it i i do think that like you do have I just think as a performer, you do have a a responsibility to go above and beyond, you know, whatever the legal requirements are for that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Precisely because it's, it's your concert at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. People aren't going to remember the name of the, you know, event management group that did the logistics for it. But it's, I, you know, I feel like just about it's representative of i guess just a number of different things or it's like you know coming out of the pandemic which of course is not over but we just Mm -hmm. decided to stop we just decided it's over and like oh this is the resumption of normal life or whatever and it's like yeah this is america getting back to normal is preventable loss you know preventable tragedies at uh you know while someone wants to uh, play around with uh, satanic imagery, it's uh, uh, yeah, this is a this is a pretty downer episode, and uh, there's no apologies for that because I don't know. It's you know sometimes that's where the world is. It's 
uh, shitty. But, yeah. you know, you have to uh, keep fighting, I guess. Yeah. So I think we can close out now. It's one thirty. I got to go to bed. Yeah, totally. All right, well, that's it for this episode, everybody. If you like this episode, please uh, become a patron. $5 a month gets you bonus episodes at patreon.com slash hours. You can also, um, you know, um, uh, make a lesser donation amount um, to just be a, like a patron, but you won't get bonus episodes. And also, yeah, uh, if you want to donate directly to us, paypal.me slash hours. Um, and yeah, those... those different ways of financially supporting us um so if you like this episode definitely uh please uh become a patron five dollars a month to get you bonus episodes like you know like i said we we uh we discussed walter rodney's how europe underdeveloped africa basically um especially for those who want to read it but don't have time like you can listen to our analysis of it and uh and 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 get get some good uh insight and analysis and why it's that's relevant so but you should make the time to read it because it's necessary reading it is necessary reading yeah yeah this is just for folks like maybe who like don't have time to like sit down and read or you know also like to make sense another reason why we do that stuff is to help make sense of dense political theory because like like peter said it's important to read that stuff but um oftentimes like especially if folks are new to like political theory, like some of the um, uh, jargon, terminology, concepts can get it, it. It takes a while to fully comprehend and understand why it's relevant. So that's uh, lo- so to get that kind of um, contextualization. Um, that's what definitely what what we do for our bonus episodes, particularly with like when we read like political theory, is to help. Um, basically break it down in a way that's um digestible for the average person but yes please please read it entirely and also like any other kind of political theory i if it's like you know lenin's um imperialism marx or um uh, Nkrumah, like you just definitely read it but like i said sometimes that stuff is uh can be pretty dense so that's where like our bonus episodes can come in to make it less dense and also make it um more digestible and more uh relevant to what's going on today so anyway yeah that's it uh for this episode keep the faith y'all and stay dangerous um peace peace